I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week continues our four-week teaching series, FAQ, where we answer the questions that you give us. Join us this week as Eric tackles the third set in week three of FAQ. Good morning, and welcome to week number three of Frequently Asked Questions. And I'm so thankful that you guys are here, and I really hope that you've been enjoying this series. And I don't say that just so you feel good about being here. I really do hope that this has been beneficial to you. And here's something that I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that Valley Point Church needs a growing number of attenders who live as if the Bible has a claim on their lives. Like we just need a growing number of people who believe that the Bible is a big deal. And when we discover truth, when we find that, that we figure out a way to live that out in every facet of our lives. And that's what I'm convinced of. And that's why this series is so valuable for us. Just to take our questions and our concerns and run them through scripture and then dig and search, and wrestle until we find an answer. So I'm really thankful that you're here. And if you're a guest with us for the very first time, welcome to Valley Point Church. And what we've been doing for the past several weeks is we've just been answering some tough questions. And about a month and a half ago, we had people submit their questions about life, about God, about church, about whatever, And we've been in the process of answering that and looking at Scripture and discovering what God has to say. So if you're here for the very first time, welcome, and we hope that this is a great day for you as well. So we're going to get right after it. Here is question number one for today, and that is, is the story of Adam and Eve a true historical story, or is it a symbol or a metaphor for sin? So what's the deal with Adam and Eve? True story, or is it just kind of a thing that happened that we talk about and we remember as a wonderful story, but maybe it's not necessarily true? Well, the story is true. It has to be because that's what the cartoons tell us, right? So check out this cartoon. Here's Eve saying, it was a mistake. It's not like the whole world has to know about this. And I think that's just a fantastic line And of course, if the cartoons talk about it as true, then it has to be true, right? Actually, from every historical branch of Christianity, the story of Adam and Eve is known as something that's true. These were real people. Adam was a real man. Eve was a real woman as written in Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible. I think here's what's happened. With the widespread belief of Darwin's theory of evolution and a hundred years of subsequent scientific study, that traditional belief of this being a true story has been widely challenged. Like, is it true anymore? And even among churches like ours, there is some debate as to whether it is genetically possible for everybody to come from two people. I mean, think about it. All of us from two people, 
<laughs> it's kind of bizarre, and it's a little strange. So what do we believe as a church? Well, we believe that the story of Adam and Eve is historically true, and that they were real people who existed, as depicted in the book of Genesis. I think there's another question that kind of comes out of that, and the question is, why is it so important? Why would it be valuable for us to think of this story and to know it to be historically true and accurate? Why does that matter? Well, the story of Adam and Eve being true gives us just a tiny, tiny, tiny little glimpse of how amazing and creative and genius God really is. See, it all goes back to God. And when we consider Adam and Eve and everything that happened to them, you kind of step back and say, God is amazing. He is incredible. He is fantastic. He is awesome. He is whatever it is that you want to say about him. He's simply incredible based on what we discover at the very beginning. I mean, think about this. God actively and intentionally created Adam and Eve as unique beings in his own image, which tells us this. He is not a distant God who is not connected to what is happening in our lives. He is an active God, and he wants us to actively be involved in what he's doing through the person and the work of Christ. We do not exist through chance, nor are we merely intelligent animals. Adam and Eve were real people, and when you think about that as a true historical story, you get this great picture. I mean, just an amazing picture of a wonderful God who could pull this off, who is so smart and so genius and so creative. Consider this as well. Paul, one of the New Testament writers, spoke of Adam as a real person. And you can read that in Romans chapter 5 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that, uh, those paragraphs are in your program. I'd encourage you to take that and read through that because Paul spoke of Adam as a real living being. Here's what else we know. Adam is listed as a real person in the genealogy of Noah, who's listed as a real person in the genealogy of Abraham, who's listed as a real person in the genealogy of Jesus. Genealogies don't list fake people. They don't do that. And God was the author of all of Scripture, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It would have been very easy for him to say, wait a minute, hold everything, stop the presses. We've got Adam listed here. Adam's not a real person. Take him out. But Adam is there because he's as real as Noah. He's as real as Abraham. He's as real as Jesus Adam was real, Eve was real, and it helps us to know that the Bible is true. It is not an epic morality tale that gives us deeper truths about life. It's so much more than that. It's accurate, and it's reliable, and Adam and Eve were real people. Okay? Question number two. It's about our church, and that is, where did Valley Point Church originate? Well, it actually all started on October 17th, 1971, with Bell Bottoms, Richard Nixon, and Vietnam. So that's what was happening in 1971, 
And in addition to that, there was a group of people who got together and said, we think God wants us to put a church in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, which back in 1971 was just a sleepy little rural town, but they had this vision of what God could do. So it all began on October the 17th, 1971. And in 1974, that group of believers built a church that is now our Bethel Road campus. You hear us talk about meeting there and doing some things there. That's where our offices are held. And they built that church, that campus in 1974, right over on Bethel Road. And they met there for several years until 2005 when the church grew to the point where we needed some extra space. And that's when we started meeting right here in this middle school. And we have continued to grow as we've met here. The church has had four full-time lead pastors. Maybe you knew that. Maybe you didn't. Here's the names. Pastor McQuaid, Pastor Conover, Pastor Cremines, and I've been here for two and a half years now. And while a lot of things have changed about our church, including its name and the location where we meet, there's one thing that hasn't changed. And that is God has used this place from the very beginning, whether it was on Bethel Road or whether it was here, no matter who the lead pastor was, God has used this faith community to be a bright light in this community and around the world. And the future looks very bright. You know, our whole dream is to point people to real relationships. We want everybody who walks through the doors of this place to know that they can have a real relationship with God, which is needed, and a real relationship with people, which is necessary for us. So we want everybody to know you can have a real relationship with God who is intimate, close to us, and wants to be involved in our lives. He does. He's not a distant God. We can know him. And we want everybody to understand that. And we also want everybody to have a real relationship and a friendship with other people. So we want to point people to real relationships that inspire real significance, that you can use your life and your dreams and your passions and your abilities to have significance in the lives of other people. And that's kind of what we're about as a church. Even right now, there are 21 people from Valley Point who are traveling to West Virginia so that they can do significant things. It's amazing. And I had a chance to meet with them this morning and to pray with them. I would encourage you to do the same, that God will use their lives where they're at and their influence and their smiles and their hard work with the people of West Virginia and the area that they're going to be to have real significance. So that's kind of how our church originated and some unique things about us. It all started in 1971. Now, you know what else you could do in 1971? Because I can tell you're all interested. Here's what else you could do. You could buy a tape cassette recorder. Does anybody remember these things? I mean, they were awesome. In 1971, they came out for the very first time, and you could get one for $29.88. So aren't you glad you came to church today to know that in 1971, in addition to Bell Bottoms and Richard Nixon and Vietnam, you could also buy a tape cassette recorder, right? And God planted a church that is impacting your lives today. So that's a little bit about how our church originated. 
Here's question number three. It's also about our church. We had someone ask, how can we continue to run a weekly $1,000 deficit in our offerings? And that's a great question. And I think the reality is we can't run a $1,000 deficit in our offerings. At some point, you've got to figure out reality and base your budget on what is really happening. Now, I want to take some time this morning to encourage you and to share some really good news about some things that are happening here at Valley Point financially through wise planning, through reserves, and through restraint. We have almost entirely closed that gap. Generosity is way up here, and we met budget in May. We came very, very close in June, and July is looking wonderful. And together, we have helped close that gap. As you can see in your program today, we are very, very close to meeting our weekly budget, which means that we are close to meeting our yearly budget, and what you are giving is making a difference. And perhaps today is the day that we close that gap entirely and we go beyond our weekly need and we get the chance to dream about some things that we haven't been able to dream about quite yet. I want to thank you personally as your lead pastor. I want to thank you for your generosity. And what you're giving is helping people find real relationships and real significance. And maybe you think that what you give doesn't really matter. Like, can God really use this? Do I have to continue the process of doing this? Does it matter? Well, I want to say to you that it does matter, and it's impacting lives in a huge way. Just this past Thursday, we had our elder meeting. And as part of that elder meeting, we invited a family to come in and just share a bit of their story and what God is doing in their lives. And they're a family that's newer to Valley Point. And just about a month ago, this individual, this father, had a tumor removed from his brain. It was just fascinating to hear the different things of how God has worked. And God has just lined up miracle after miracle in their life. And one of the takeaways that I got from all of this is that they're involved in a church family that actually is interested in them and cares about them. And because of your generosity, they have been visited at the hospital, they have been prayed over, meals have been delivered to them, and that is all possible because of your generosity. Without your generosity, it's hard to open the doors around here. It's hard to turn the air on and sit in a comfortable environment. And we enjoy all of this because of your generosity. And it's awesome to know I mean, it is so encouraging to me, and I want to encourage you with this, that we get to open the doors of this place and invite all kinds of different people to come in, and we don't know where they're at, and we don't know their stories, and we don't know the different trials and difficulties and challenges that people are facing, but they can come, and they can sit in this place and know that they can be a part of a larger faith community, that when the storms of life come, and when the rain comes, and it comes, doesn't it? And we have all experienced that. We have all felt that at different times. And when that comes, because of your generosity, there are people here who are receiving real help. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your generosity. It's making a difference, and we have almost completely wiped out that deficit. And again, 
Maybe today is the day that we close that and we get to dream about incredible things. So thank you for what you're doing there. And can we just take a moment and thank God for helping us do that? It's a great story. All right. Question number four. Now, this is a little more intense. And that is, how does our church feel about in vitro fertilization and birth control? Well, as a church, we don't have an official statement on these issues. What we do is we look to Scripture to discover what it has to say. And uniquely, you can walk through the Bible, and it doesn't have a lot to say about in vitro fertilization and birth control and things of that nature. Contrary to what you may think, I actually believe in birth control. Even though I have six kids of my own, it just kind of took us a while to figure that all out. But I actually believe in birth control. And within the context of marriage, I don't think that the use of birth control or treatments for infertility are much of an issue with God. I don't think he's that concerned over these things. He's concerned about us, but I don't don't think he's that concerned with the issue overall. And here's why. I think, actually, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that God wants something for all of us. I'm convinced that God wants us to be responsible, intelligent, capable, reliable, and faithful stewards of what he's given to us. I'm convinced of that. This is what God wants for each and every person in this room. So let me say that again. I'm convinced that God wants us to be responsible, intelligent, capable, reliable, and faithful stewards of what God has given to us. This concept of stewardship is huge in the Bible. And what we find in scriptures is that God has given us life and he's given us resources. So the life that you have and the life that you enjoy is given to you by God. And all of the resources that you have are given to you by God and his expectation. He doesn't hope for this. He doesn't just want this. He doesn't say, this is a really, really good idea for you to pull this off. He says, this is my expectation that you steward, which means to manage You manage everything that I've given to you, including your life and all of your resources, and you manage that in an excellent way. You steward this. You manage it. That would include our time, our intellect, our talents, our money. God wants us to manage all of this in an excellent way, and I believe it also includes our reproductive abilities. So here's the principle that we get from God's word. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it says this, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So here's the principle. Honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. And make sure that you steward You manage every single part, the parts that we like to talk about, and even the parts that we don't like to talk about, like our reproductive abilities. Make sure you steward this. Make sure you manage this. God expects that of us. Now, I think this is unique and personal for every couple. 
If God wanted all of us to have two kids or three kids or four kids, he would have said that, and then he would have made it possible. But not everybody can have children. Not everybody wants to or even should have two kids or three kids or four kids or whatever. This is unique and personal for every couple, and I don't believe that God has any issue with birth control. Again, it comes down to an issue of management. That's the principle there. What about in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination, and similar treatments? Look, I think that God has gifted some people in the area of medicine, and I think that God has gifted a lot of people in the area of science. And I don't think we have to be afraid that we're acting on God's behalf by simply looking at these things and by investigating them. So in vitro fertilization, by definition, it's a process by which an egg is fertilized by a sperm outside of the body. Now again, aren't you glad you came to church today to hear about that? We're going to talk about it because I think it's a great question. And I think the key question in all of this is who's involved in the process? Is it a husband and is it a wife? And are they having problems conceiving and are they chasing in vitro? I think the deeper question about in vitro is using a donor sperm or a donor egg. And the other issue is often the process involves producing more eggs than what are needed. And so at the end of that process, there are extra embryos that are not used or frozen or discarded. This is kind of an intense question. So what I did to help me with this is I sent out a note to a few doctors, and here was one of their responses to me, a doctor from Valley Point. Here's what they said in their email. I can't wait to hear what you are going to say. Good luck. Glad I'm not a pastor. Not a help at all to me. So I tried to read and study and just pray and think, and I came up with three different principles that we can apply to in vitro fertilization. And I think even beyond that, we can apply it to a lot of different areas in life. So again, if you have something in front of you that doesn't make a lot of sense or you're unsure about it, trying to figure it out, there's just a lot of question marks, then I would encourage you to lean in, write this stuff down, and see if it doesn't help you. So first of all, know the whole process. If you're thinking about this, or anything like it. Just know the whole process from beginning to end, everything along the way, and who's involved. You should study, and you should research, and just know the whole process, beginning to end. Make sure you're set on that. And then secondly, pray like never before. I mean, if you're walking through this, and you've got questions, just pray your face off. Because it's important, and you've got to figure this out. And Scripture actually tells us, if we take our concerns to God, and if we lack wisdom, which this is certainly probably one of those areas, it's just kind of tough and hard to figure out. So if anybody lacks wisdom, here's what we get to do. We get to take that to God, and God makes the promise that if we ask, he will share with us, and he will make it clear. But often, we never even start the process. We never even ask. We never pray hard. So if you're in the middle of this, 
or in the middle of something like it, pray like crazy, ask God for wisdom. And he said that he'll give it to you, and he'll give it to you liberally. I mean, he'll just pour it out. So take it to God. Thirdly, gather multiple voices. Get a lot of people around you. And I love the words of Proverbs chapter 15 that says, plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. So gather smart people around you, gather mentors around you, gather people who know what they're talking about and know that there is success with many advisors. I don't think this is something you throw out on Facebook because you're probably not going to get great advice there. So don't do that. Gather people around you that you know, that care about you, that have good things to say, that are godly people, and know that in the counsel of many, there is success. So research it from beginning to end. Know the whole process. Pray like never before, and then gather many advisors, gather multiple voices. And let me just say this to anyone who wants a child. And that hasn't happened for you yet. And you've moved beyond the being okay with that part. It hurts. It's painful. It's a a concern. It bothers you. It keeps you up at night. I want to encourage you just to take that to God. Because people in Scripture did that. And they cried out and shared their deepest wishes with God, and God will listen to you, and God will respond in his own unique way. So take that concern to God. And if you want to have a child, and there's something that helps with that, and you have researched the whole thing, and you have prayed like crazy, and you have gathered multiple voices in your life, and you want to have a child, and there's something that helps with that, and there's no moral red flags then go for it. And may God bless you, and may you help Valley Point Church reach 1,013 regular attenders by December 2013. That's our hope for you. So we've got a baby boom going on around here, by the way, so that needs to continue. So be fruitful and multiply, all right? Question number five. Wow. All right, why isn't communion served every week here at Valley Point. Well, we don't serve communion every week here for a couple of reasons. The first reason is because it's not commanded in Scripture. You can walk through the New Testament, and nowhere do you find a paragraph that talks to the church and says, hey, church, you over there, you serve communion each and every week. It's, it's just not there. And so that's the main reason why we don't feel we have to serve communion every week. What we find in the early church is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is also called communion, and to prayer. That's what we find in Acts chapter 2. So when you look at that list, were those items done every time that they gathered? Not sure. But again, it goes back to what you find in Scripture and what it says and the clear commands. And there's no clear command in Scripture to serve communion every single week. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we find these words about communion. Verse 23 says, For I pass unto you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as ye drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Again, there's no command here to remember this every time that we gather as a church. We're told to do it, but the regularity of it is never dictated in Scripture. So reason number one, it's not required in Scripture that we do this every single week. There's another reason we don't do it every week, and it's a little more practical. And that's because we view communion as a deeply spiritual experience. It's very symbolic. Last week, we talked about symbols and icons and One of the very symbolic things that we do here at Valley Point is we baptize people. And the other very symbolic, very meaningful, very spiritual thing that we do is we take communion. And during that time, we get the opportunity to remember the body of Christ and how that was broken and brutally beaten for us. We get to give thanks to him for what he gave up for us. And we also remember his blood that was shed for us so that we could be made right with God. And we remember this. It's a deeply spiritual moment. And it's really not something that we should enter into lightly. And so because of that, whenever we have communion, we want it to be something that's special. And we want it to be memorable. And we want to be sure that we are giving people the right amount of time to make sure that their heart is right with God and that their sin is confessed and that they're ready to remember the sacrifice of Jesus in such a way that it makes God happy. And so that's kind of what we do. There is a unique verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that actually gives a warning about communion. So again, it's not something that we enter into lightly because here's what verse 27 says. It says, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And so the whole purpose of communion is an opportunity for those who have trusted in Jesus alone to thank God for the sacrifice, for the body and the blood of Jesus and how that's made it possible for us to have this right relationship and this friendship with God. In just a moment, we're going to actually serve communion today because we've had time to make this unique and special and memorable and we want to give you time to reflect and to just make sure that you are right with God Our elders are going to serve it this morning and a tray will be passed down your aisle. And when the tray comes, 
I want you to grab the two cups that are stacked together. And after you pass the tray, you can separate the cups. Inside one cup is a small piece of bread. And that bread is simply a picture. It's a symbol of the broken body of Christ. And in the other cup is some juice. And that's a symbol. It's a picture of the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf. You can hold those two cups in your hand and we'll wait till everyone is served. And then I'll come back up and we'll partake together the bread first and then the juice. I would encourage you to use this time to make sure that you're ready to remember Jesus in a meaningful and in a deep way that impacts your life this morning. You know, maybe you're here and you're not exactly ready for this. You're not totally sure what it all means. It's new for you. Or maybe it even feels a bit strange. Or perhaps you have a small child with you and you know that they don't quite understand all of this. You can let that tray pass. No worries, no concerns. That choice is yours. Just encourage you to use this time to reflect and to pray and to remember all that Jesus has done for you. So I'd like to invite you to pray with me right now before the elements are passed. Will you do that? Father, we just come to you right now. And we're so thankful for the time that we're setting aside today on this Sunday morning in July to remember what you have done for us. God, you are incredible. You are amazing. We've talked about you today and your creative genius and your love for us and how you created Adam and Eve in your own image. And you did that because you're not a distant God, but you want to be involved in our lives and you're here for us and you want us to interact with you. And one of the greatest ways that we can do that is what we're about to step into. It's our communion time. And so, God, we give this moment to you. God, I pray that as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that our hearts would be moved and touched and just ready to honor you and to thank you for everything that you have done for us and how you gave of yourself your body was beaten for us and your blood was shed for us and you did that so we could know you so God we remember you now we remember the sacrifice of Jesus we give this time to you now in Jesus name Thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9, 15, and 11 a.m.